One of the jobs I had before I was a pastor had me on a cleaning crew. And six months into the job, our crew supervisor basically stopped working, okay? So he kept calling in sick, even though he wasn't really sick. You know what he was? Too drunk to come in. And our, supervi- our supervisor's boss, the big boss, he kept excusing it. He kept saying, I'll call him Dave. Dave being my supervisor, the guy who was too drunk to come in. You need to give Dave a second chance. He's a really good guy. Just give him a second chance. Come on, just one more week, one more week. I know Dave will pull through. I know he's going to come back. Let's just give him another week. That went on for three months. And at the end of three months, I was pretty frosted. I was angry. I was very angry. I was angry at our supervisor for being a drunk, and I was angry at his boss for not doing the right thing and firing the guy. I was pretty mad. Eventually, I went into my supervisor's boss's office and confronted him. And he leaned back in his chair, and he listened, nodded his head. I left thinking we had an understanding And then another three months went by of nothing. Jenny says that I was so angry during this time that I would grit my teeth so loud at night the clicking sound would wake her up. (laughs) How's that for fun? And and I remember when I would drive into work for my shift, I would it was only a five minute commute. Okay, it wasn't even like it was long. I would clutch the steering wheel so hard that my my hands would, I would have to shake my hands on the way in to clock in for work. It was great. I loved it. No, I'm kidding. It was awful. For a long time, for a long time, I was angry at both these men. I was angry at my supervisor for being a drunk, and I was angry at my boss for not, uh, not giving me the supervisor pay and not being a real man and firing a guy who needs, needed to be fired. What does it take to get you really mad? Do you know what your buttons are that people can push in your life? And isn't it true? Isn't it true? The people that you love the most are the people who can hurt you the most. What is that all about? Okay. Some of you, some of you are mad at your parents. And for those of you who are middle schoolers and high schoolers and 20 somethings, I want to talk to you for a moment. I know you live life right now primarily through the lens of mom and dad. And you have a list. And you have a list of the things that mom and dad do that are pretty good and you like. And then you have a list of the things that mom and dad do that you think, jerk points, jerk points, dad, jerk points, mom. I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you do that, okay? So you, you've got a list. And, and on some of those things on that list may be, dad, you have never come to a single game. Or you are always late, always. You are the last parent to come every game. Come first for once. Or, Mom, I worked my butt off for those six A's. Why did you have to talk about the B plus? Talk about the six A's, not the B plus, okay? And you've got this list, and you're mad at Mom and Dad. And you know it. If you're grown and you've moved out, you know you're still mad at Mom and Dad when their number comes up on the caller ID and you feel your body tensing up. That's a pretty good indicator (laughs) that you're still mad at Mom and Dad. Some of you are mad at somebody you really loved, and they loved you. It doesn't matter whether it was a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. You, you had an agreement. It's us against the world through thick and thin. No matter what, we're going to be there for each other until you found out about the other person. Yeah, 
And then, and then it was two months of your life they took from you, or five years, or ten years, right? They took that time from you, okay? And you're mad. You're mad at them. Um, life is like that, isn't it? We've all been wronged over and over and over again. But what do you do when somebody hurts you? What do you do when somebody cheats you or takes something from you? Are you like that bumper sticker I see everywhere? I don't get mad. Oh, you've seen that. I don't get mad. I get even. <laughs> and out comes the knife. Okay? No, it's okay. The thing is, every time, every time that you and I are wronged, every time that you and I are hurt, it's not just the offense. It's that that person or those people have taken something from us. It may have been your reputation. It may have been a couple of months of your life. It may have been an opportunity. It may have even actually been an actual object. As a pastor, I've had the ability. I go to funerals a lot. Pastors do that. We go to weddings and funerals. I can't tell you how many funerals there's been this thing that plays out. Pastor Max, I need you to sit down with my sister Lucy. Uh, okay, well, why do I need to sit down with Lucy? Well, okay, Grandma's china set, that was mine. Grandma promised it to me, and it was going to be my china set, and I can't believe she's already taken it to her house. Do you know she's taken it to her house? As if it's hers! And I need you to sit her down and tell her that she's a thief, and thieves go to hell. Would you do that? So you're upset with your sister because she took your china set? Did I not just explain this? Okay, and, (laughs) you know, on it goes, okay? It happens. It happens. Today, today I want to come back to a passage that we were in in G-Town and Kid Stuff at the beginning of the month. And it's the, it's the story of the unmerciful servant or the un, unforgivable debtor. Uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 18. And that's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 21 and following. Matthew, by the way, of the four Gospels, Matthew is basically a how-to manual on discipleship. It's a how-to manual of how to follow Jesus. And, and Matthew's got all kinds of great stuff along those lines. How to follow Jesus. What does that look like? And in this section, the whole topic of, well, what do you do in the community of faith when one of your brothers or sisters keeps wronging you over and over again and they keep coming to you going, oh, I'm so sorry, forgive me. And they're kind of being a jerk about it. I mean, how many times should you really forgive that person? Okay, and that's kind of the background for this section. Uh, and there, that's where we'll pick it up in verse 21. Peter, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, there's something that would be helpful for you to know, and that something is this. The Judaism of Jesus' day, if anything, was precise. I love the Judaism of Jesus' day, if for no other reason than they were precise about everything. Everything had a number. Every, you knew. You knew what was right, what was wrong. It was spelled out with absolute clarity by the rabbis. And the rabbis had determined that a forgiving person is someone who forgives three times. On the fourth time, you can punch them in the face. <laughs> On the fourth time, you can tell them to go jump off a cliff. On the fourth time, you can exclude them from community, vote them out of the synagogue, step on them. The fourth time, they're dirt. They're wicked. They're reprobate. They're going to hell. It's the way it works. The fourth time, you're good. And so when Peter asks Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven? 
you need to understand that Peter is being magnanimous. I mean, holy cow, seven times, Peter? Are you kidding me? You only have to do three, buddy. I mean, you're going the extra mile more than double. And then comes Jesus' response, which would have been astonishing for everyone who heard it. Jesus says this, no, no, Peter, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. In other words, it never ends. You keep forgiving, you keep forgiving, you keep forgiving. And then he tells the parable and he says, here's why. Here's why you should forgive regularly. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. In the Greek, it lays out what the man owed as 10,000 talents. I don't even think this translation comes close in the sense that if you do the math, it equates to something like $2.5 billion. To go into debt that much, the man, the servant, had to have been something like the governor of a province who basically sat on his taxes and didn't turn them in for a couple of years. I mean, $2.5 billion in today's money. In other words, it's an incomprehensible amount. It's an amount that no matter what you do, you're not going to get a loan. Your family's not going to bail you out. You're hosed. You can't pay it back. He's in trouble, and he knows it, and there's nothing he can do about it. And so he throws himself at the mercy of the king. And the funny thing is, the king very well indicates, the text tells us that you know he's going to throw him and his family into debtor's prison. And the funny thing is, every time you read it in the Bible, it's, it has this phrase, so the debt could be repaid. But if what you owe is incomprehensible and you're sold into slavery for your whole life, let's say another 40 years, are you going to be able to repay $2.5 billion? No. Debtor, see, it, being sold into slavery is not really so that you can repay the debt. It's a punishment. It's an ironic punishment. We're going to sell off your children and your wife first. Ha! Huh, there they go on the auction block. Then we'll put you on. And that's teach you, don't borrow money you can't repay, buddy. Thank you very much. It's a very harsh reality. Um, but the man, you know, pleads. And what does the king do? In a moment, the king has pity on this man and cancels the debt. $2.5 billion just forgiven in an instant. Well, the story continues. Verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he said. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When the first servant leaves, having been forgiven $2.5 billion, he happens to run across another guy in the system who owes him the equivalent of four grand. Four grand compared to 2.5 billion. There's no comparison, is there? And in the text, the way the second servant talks to him is the same way that he talked to the king. I mean, it's almost identical words and actions. But this first servant, what does he do? Throws the guy in prison. Well, the people seeing this take place, they're incensed. Are you kidding me? 
You're going to throw them in prison for four grand? And they go to the king. And here's what happens. Uh, Verse 31 to 34. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. The first servant's nature is revealed when he throws the guy who owes him $4,000 into prison. All of a sudden, we see that that first servant, even though he had been forgiven a tremendous amount, wasn't a forgiving person. And in the biblical text, the, the reader, the hearer of this is left to conclude that first servant, he's a wicked man. He's an unforgiving man. He's an unmerciful man. He's not like his king. And so the mercy and benevolence of the king is something that Jesus expects that the first servant would then show to other people. Why? Because he's been on the receiving end of mercy and benevolence. And, and let, me give you, let me define a couple of things for a moment. Mercy, by the way, if I am merciful to you, it means I'm withholding something you deserve. In, in my house, in my world, that's usually in the form of punishment with my children. I am merciful to my kids when they deserve to be punished for something and I withhold the punishment. That's mercy. Grace is something entirely different. Grace is when I give you something that you don't deserve at all, but I give it to you anyway. Grace is when you've been late at work and late at work and late at work and you're not on time and you know what? You get the raise anyway. You get the bonus anyway. You didn't earn it like the other people at you know, on the crew did or the other people in the, uh, on the team did, but you get the raise, you get the bonus nonetheless. That's grace, okay? And what we're told and what we see in this passage is that God is both merciful and gracious. God is like the king in this passage. And the point that Jesus is making is that because God is merciful and gracious, then the people who have been on the receiving end of that grace and mercy should also be what? Merciful and gracious, and that's the expectation. Um, and so I, I want to wade into a few things about forgiveness. First of all, we've defined forgiveness in kid stuff as deciding that someone who's wronged you doesn't have to pay. Forgiveness is really a decision that somebody doesn't owe you anymore. It's really that simple and that hard. Forgiveness is deciding you don't owe me anymore. The debt, what you took from me, I, I've canceled that. We're, we're good. You don't owe me anymore. And so I want to give you some practical, practical advice when it comes to forgiveness. And I take this from both Andy Stanley and Dallas Willard. So that's where I'm, those are the pools I'm pulling from uh, for several things. In light of this passage, in light of the fact that God is merciful and gracious to us and wants us to be merciful and gracious to others, how do you walk out forgiveness? Well, here's, here's, here's some steps that I would encourage you to take. First, identify the people that you're angry with. You're like, well, I don't need to do that. You know, everybody knows who I'm mad at. You know, I posted on Facebook, baby. Well, whether it's your ex or your boss or your parents, understand that they have a hook in you. If you're mad at somebody because they've wronged you or because they've hurt you, in essence, they've got a hook in your back. 
And they've got a gravitational line pull on you as a person if they owe you. If you're like me, uh, there, there are some people in life like me. We're the people who aren't always sure what we're feeling, and we can be mad at somebody but not really aware of it, okay? If you're in that category or you're thinking today, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good in all my relationships. In fact, I, you know, I don't think I'm really mad at anybody per se. Well, let me ask you a, qu- a couple of clarifying questions. Do you ever have imaginary conversations in which someone comes to you on one knee? I'm so sorry. I was such a worm. I can't believe I did that to you. How horribly I treated you. Please forgive me, even though I'm not worthy to be in your presence. If you're dreaming that stuff at night or you're having those kind of imaginary scenarios, that could be a pretty good indicator that you're mad at somebody. Or, Or on the flip side, if you have imaginary conversations where you're explaining life to them, you're giving them the lecture, right? You are a worm. Here's why you're a worm, because when you took this and you said that, and okay, if you're having those imaginary conversations, again, that's a pretty good indicator. You're mad. You're upset. There's been an offense. They owe you something, okay? So identify the people that you're angry with. Secondly, determine what they owe you. You cannot forgive something that has not been defined. You really can't. You cannot forgive something that has not been defined. So a lot of times I'll encourage people, get out a piece of paper and write it down. What exactly do they owe you? What exactly did they take from you? It may have been an opportunity, a raise, two of the best years of my life. Thank you very much. I don't know what it is. Your innocence, the bulk of your childhood, write it down, define it. Here's what you took. Here it is in black and white. And then this is the easy part and hard part. When you get to the point where God's enabled you on that same piece of paper, write canceled or paid, canceled the debt, make a decision right then and there. You don't owe me that anymore. My childhood that you took from me or those two years of my life, you don't owe them to me anymore. Canceled. Shred that piece of paper, burn it, but make sure you never come across it again, okay? Destroy the piece of paper. And I understand that for some times and for some multiple offenses, it takes a while to get to a point where you're willing to decide canceled. I understand that. There are some things in life and some offenses that it takes a while. I get that. I've been down that road. In my, category, in, my, in my way of thinking, I think one of the hardest people to forgive is actually God. God gets the blame for a lot of things, doesn't he? I mean, God, how's come you or how's come you didn't? And, you know, you should have been there for me or you didn't provide this when I felt you should have. And, okay, God gets the blame for a lot of stuff. And I think God's one of the hardest people to forgive sometimes. But, again, when you get to that point and you're able to define what it is that they took how it is that they let you down, right? Canceled. Done. And whether it's God or your parents or your ex or your boss or your coworker, they don't owe you anymore. And so, okay, well, Max, what do I do when I run into them at the office again and all these feelings come up and I can't help these feelings? Take a deep breath. And that's when, if you've gotten to that point and you've written canceled and you've made that decision, that's where it comes to your mind and you go, oh, that's right. They don't owe me anymore. I canceled that debt. That's right. They don't owe me. Huh. 
And it's amazing how deflating that can be. Um, The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians. He said this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, instead be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. You see, for those of us who are Christians, we got to a point in our lives where we realized we had blown it with God. And we approached God and we said, God, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And you know what? Even though we didn't deserve it, do you know what God did? He forgave us. Why would we then turn around and withhold forgiveness from someone else? And that's the point that Paul is making. Here's a practical reason why it's important to forgive. Let's say your ex or your boss, or in my case, my supervisor, my old boss, were to come to your door and knock and do the whole, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? And, And if they were to offer to pay back what they took, could they really give it back to you anyway? Nine times out of ten, they can't. If they took your childhood, if they took two, year, two of the best years of your life, if they took that promotion that ended up being a seven-year wandering in the desert, I mean, they can't give back what they took nine times out of ten. So even if they came and even if they got on one knee, they can't pay you back anyway. I want to I tell you a, a story, and this is, <laughs> this is actually true and real, and it's about Brian Henson, who now runs the, the Henson... Muppet Company, you know, Kermit the Frog, Kermit the Frog, and Miss Piggy. Well, way back a long time ago, Henson Productions was going to be uh, acquired by Disney. Jim Henson, the founder of the company, had worked all this out with the Disney company. And that very same year, he got pneumonia out of nowhere and died. Like, it was two weeks and he was dead. In the wake of that, Disney came to his son, Brian, and said... you know, we've changed our minds and we're not going to do this thing anyway. Thanks. And they walked away. Well, Brian was furious. He launched a huge, massive suit against Disney Company. The Disney Company came back and countersued and it was getting nasty and it was about to go nuclear. He had the nukes ready, armed, and he was about to push the button. And he said, I remembered an incident with my dad when I was a when I was a kid, and this is what he writes. We're such a vengeance-driven culture. We're taught to get even, get justice, and that can become your purpose in life, but that wasn't my father's way. I remembered when I was eight or nine, someone stole my dad's camera and wallet from the trunk of his car in a New York garage. He just said, I guess they need it more than I do. He closed the trunk, and we drove home. He never mentioned it again. Someone else would have been angry for days, but it didn't cause my dad to stumble for a second. Brian writes of that moment, I realized I needed to forgive Disney and walk away. And he did. Dropped the, I mean, they settled, dropped the whole nine yards. Brian went his own way. Do you know who owns Muppets today? Disney. <laughs> okay. Would Disney have done the merger probably if he had launched the nukes? Probably not. <laughs> but here's, here's, here's the thing. Forgiveness can open doors in your life. Forgiveness makes you a truly free person. It does, because the, those, hooks, those hooks are gone. Forgiveness makes you strong. 
That's why we're commanded and compelled in Scripture to be free to forgive because it's a better way to live. I'm going to invite our musicians to come up. We're going to have an extended song set. And while we're singing, you know, do the litmus test in your head. Are you having those imaginary conversations in your head where you're explaining something to someone? You're giving them a lecture or they're on bended one knee begging for forgiveness? Maybe, maybe someone owes you something. Would you be willing today to cancel that debt and in that way walk out in greater 